Last week, uh, we started this series called Show Me How, and it was, um, if it was, if it was the same for you as it was for me, it was very challenging. Um, and I'm not saying that just because I spoke it, but because as I went over the different things this week again and again, um, I'm reminded how much I need to, you know, hand in my, my mind or my vision for God's kingdom vision. And, um, I hope um, if you haven't listened to it and you weren't here last week, um, it's online. You can go listen to it there. But it, it really sets up this whole series and kind of where we're going with it. And so I encourage you um, to take some time, find some time to, to listen to it sometime this week. Um, I know you'll be challenged, and hopefully it'll make sense the rest of the series. So um, this week has been a very interesting week. And why it's been so interesting is because I get to talk about love. And whenever you talk about love, you can, you can kind of go a lot of different ways with it, right? Because uh, if we really talk about what we're talking about, if God show me how, then really one of the things we, we look at is we can look at God show us how to love our neighbors, show us how to love you. We can, I mean, there's so many different ways we can go with this idea of God show us how to love. And so this week has really been a challenge because I've, I've sat for hours, it seems like, just trying to figure out, God, what, it, what is it that you want to communicate? And if you remember last week, um, we, we talked about these kingdom-minded people do this, and it was all um, based out of uh, the Beatitudes, or the Blessed Bees, or the Happy Is, or whatever you want to call them. Um, but it was all based out of there. And one of the things that I, I said in one of those is I said, kingdom-minded people see and then help other people see. Everybody remember that? Okay, you failed your test. Go back and study, okay? Um, but I said, kingdom-minded people see and then help other people see. One of the things I'm discovering in my own life is this. The more I can see, the easier it is to love. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take some time and we're going we're gonna to dive into love in that way of like, okay, am I seen properly? And if I'm seen properly, then I can love properly. And so as we looked at this, about three years ago, um, Katie and I got away on our um, 10-year anniversary trip, and I, during this time I was reading a book, and, and I, about halfway through our, our uh, trip, I leaned over my wife and said, I wish I would have read this about 10 years ago, because I think our marriage would have started off completely different, and the first year, 10 years would have been different. And it wasn't a marriage book, it was actually a business book, but the whole premise of this book was actually seeing people, and seeing them through the right lenses, seeing them in the proper way and perspective. And one of the things that got me thinking about this week is how awesome Jesus was at seeing people. You know, you can think of the story where all these uh, Pharisees and scholars brought up this woman who was caught in adultery, adultery and, and he, they wanted Jesus to agree with them to, to stone him, or to stone her. And so Jesus looked at her, and he couldn't do that. The Bible says he got down and began to write in the sand, you know, and, and we don't know what he wrote, but I... I can only imagine, like, that's, that's something that one day I want to see. Like, what did you write that really just, like, changed everybody's mind, right? But he didn't, he didn't look at this lady the same way that these other guys did. He looked at her and saw somebody who was in desperate need of love and a connection and intimacy that she was trying to find in every other place but the place she could. And so everything she did, every... every um, moment that she had led her to an empty feeling and so led her to, to do the things she was doing over and over and over again because she, she couldn't really understand or feel the love that she knew she needed. 
Or we think about the story of when Jesus is sitting at a well in, in Samaria. And he's sitting there in a place where, number one, Jews really were forbidden to go to because they really hated the Samaritans. And so we find Jesus sitting next to this well in the middle of the day, and there's this lady, you know, getting water from the well. Now, one number two about this is that if you understand the story a little bit, they didn't come to the well in the middle of the day. The only reason why she was coming is because she was like a disgrace to the community. Like, she didn't want to be judged anymore. And so instead of having people continue to talk about her, she just went at a time when no one else was there. And so Jesus sits down and starts talking to her and offers her something that she never has heard of, number one, but also always longed for. And as Jesus continues to talk to her, he goes, well, why don't you go get your husband? And she's like, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, that's right, you have five. And the one that you're living with right now isn't even your husband, right? So you can imagine that. Like, all of a sudden you stroll up and Jesus is there and he's having teaching with you, or uh, sitting there and he's wanting to have a conversation with you. And he starts reading all your junk. Like in that moment, you'd feel a little uneasy, right? But in that moment, she feels incredibly alive. Why? Because for, for once in her life, there's finally someone who sees her, someone who calls her on what she's doing, but also loves her and even in the midst of it. And so she finds this living water. She finds this love that she's looking for in every, every different relationship. You see... What's interesting is if we were to look at how we were taught how to love, I think each and every one of us would have some things in common, but I think in some ways we would have stories maybe like those two individuals. We might have other stories where we, we went looking or trying to give love in ways that we, we only knew because it was taught to us, but then it, it's led to places that have led us into brokenness, right? Or led us down roads that we, we literally sit there going, I thought this was going to fulfill me, but it doesn't. And so, one of the things this week that I really began to um, mull on a little bit is this. We have a, uh, a daughter who is 13 years old. She, she's adopted from Ethiopia, and I've talked about her quite a bit. But with our daughter from Ethiopia, one of the things we're having to learn about is that we don't really know the first 11 years of her life. We don't know much about that, that time frame. And so, but what we do know is that at a very young age, she had a traumatic experience where she lost her father at the age of two. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember many things from like five, I don't, I don't remember things from last year sometimes, but like my memories of like my younger years are kind of like non-existent, right? I know that I have one memory that I can remember right now that keep, that's only come up and it's when I was three years old. And you're like, I can't even remember that far. I can't remember three minutes ago, you know, like, but three years, I was three years old. And the only reason I can remember this is because this was a very like, important time in our family's life because and for me it was the dying of I'm the only child because my sister was born and I had to start sharing right okay but I remember this this night and it was the night of uh when my mom had already had my sister and they were in the hospital and my dad came home to stay with me and I remember being like laying next to my dad in the bed I can tell you even the room like where it was in the room where I was sleeping and and also, I can tell you all about that. But anything else besides that, I can't really tell you much about the younger years of my life. So as we're getting into this thing about I hope, trying to understand Calcadon a little bit, the thing that just keeps driving me crazy is this, is every book I read right now is talking about this thing called attachment theory. Now, if you're a counselor or you're somebody that helps people deal with trauma and different things like that, 
you, you might understand this, this word, you know, or this uh, theory. But attachment theory is basically this. They say that in the first three years of your life, you learn to attach. So you learn intimacy and you learn love in the first three years of your life. And then from that point on, they say that from that point on, each and every year of your life through adolescence and up to your 18 is building and reinforcing what you've learned. So think about this for a minute. Your first three years, you learned how to love. How many remember those lessons? Oh, okay, nobody. That's what I thought. But yet everything you know about love is from what they say, those three years of your life. So what they tell us about our daughter is this. If she's experienced this traumatic thing in the first three years of her life, then she's got this moment of which everything she knows about love is, I don't want to get too close because if I get too close, then someone's going to die. And I can tell you that's true. Because I've heard those words out of her mouth. If I get too close to somebody, I'm just afraid they're going to leave or they're going to die. So if that's when we learn how to love, then think about this. How many broken pictures of love do you have in your life? Now let me ask you this question. When you got hurt or when something happened in your life, how did your parents handle that situation? Number one, did they handle it with love and affection and come and hug you and, you know, and say, it's going to be okay, you're going to be good, and like, how are you feeling? And start asking you these questions to like help you experience and understand that these emotions are good, that they're really good things. Or did you just have parents like mine that said, suck it up? Anybody? Come on, put your hands up. How many had the um, parenting style or the love style of just suck it up? Okay, it's okay if your mom and dad are sitting next to you. It's eye-opening for them, okay? Um, but you see what I'm saying? This week, my parents probably thought I was like going to be admitted, okay? Um, because they, they looked at me, or I called them at 940 at night, and I started asking them these questions. What was I like when I was a kid, when I was infant? Like, you know, you know and they would explain to me, you were very strong-willed. You were very much, you wanted what you wanted, and it, you were just, you were determined. You know, when I got, ran, you can see the scar right there. When I was young, two years old, I ran into this, okay, all the young people in this room, you're not going to understand this because you're like going, TVs are flat and small, okay? So, but... TVs before, if anybody else remembers this, used to be about two of these things stacked to side, and then there was a little TV in the middle of it, even though it was that big. But it had sharp corners, wood corners, okay? And so I was a rambunctious, kind of rambunctious, kind of, you know, and I rode my bike around in the house, and, and so I fell off and hit the corner of my head right on the side of it. And so it split my head open. My parents said they took me to the hospital. Literally, I woke up the next morning, and I had the stitches pulled out. You know, so that tells you a little bit about me, okay? Um, but so as I'm talking to my parents, they're sitting there trying to explain to me how I was. And then I, then I dropped the bomb on them a little bit. I said, you know, you guys really stunk as parents. No, I didn't say that. Um, everybody's going, you did what? Honor your father and mother. It's in the Ten Commandments. Okay, anyways, I, I asked them, I said, so let me ask you a little question. And at that point, they're like scared to death, you know, because I already asked them trying to figure out stuff. I said, what were you, how, how was your parents like when it came to like, you know, dealing with 
emotional times or when you got hurt or stuff like that. And both of them, I heard my dad, my, I don't even know how my dad heard what I asked, but my dad's off in the side. He's like, suck it up. You know, I'm like, okay. And my mom goes, yeah, my, my parents were the same way, you know? So think about this for a minute. My parents learned from their parents how to parent. That picture is a very broken picture. Because I don't know about you, but I've never read Jesus in this word saying, suck it up. Right? I, I haven't found it anywhere. If you can find it, you can say it and I'll repent. But it's, it's not in here. And so we have these pictures that are broken all over the place. And you and I are sitting there going, how do we love? We're sitting asking this question to say, God, show us how to love. Because we don't understand, because every picture that you've given us, everything that you've allowed in our lives has lead, led us to where we're at right now. And to be honest with you, we really stink. Like we hurt more people than we actually help a lot of times, right? I was talking to a couple of individuals this week and they said, I'll never get bored in the counseling office, right? Because we have plenty of stories of how messed up we are because of things that have happened in our lives, But the truth is, is this, we need a picture of what it really looks like to love right and love well. One that's not broken, one that's not been handed down from generation to generation and cracked a little bit more, but one that is like perfect in all of its form. And so there's only one place that we can come and we can go, God, show us how to love. And so today, if you have your Bibles or if you don't, you can reach in front of you there. Um, Open up to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, where we're at is this. Paul is um, come back to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth is kind of in a mess right now. And, you know, they're, they're, they've done some really good things, and they've, they've done some really good things in their city and their culture and different things like that. But they're starting to kind of get disoriented, and they're starting to get disorganized and forgetting a lot of things that they've been taught. And so we get to this point in this story where, where Paul's telling about all these things. Right before this is the time where he, he tells them to, like, Remember God by taking, or by celebrating, or remembering the Lord's Supper, remember? And the reason why he's telling them that is because they forgot to do it. They weren't doing it on a regular basis. They weren't remembering what this was all about. And then he goes into this next part where he starts talking about spiritual gifts. Where each and every one of us in this room has a spiritual gift that God has given that is supernatural. It's not something naturally that you have. It's something supernatural that's put into you by the Holy Spirit. And so after he gets through all this time and he's talking about all these great things and all these great gifts, he gets to this point right at the end of chapter 12 and it says this, First, however, let me tell you something else that is better than any of them. Any of them is all the stuff that he just talked about. And so he continues on, he says, If I could speak in any language, heaven or earth, but didn't love others, I would be making meaningless noise, like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I knew all the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would I be? And if I had the gift of faith and so I could say to a mountain, move and make it move, without love, I would be no good to anybody. If I give everything I have to the poor, even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it, but if I don't have, but if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. So Paul's looking at these, this, this church, this gathering, this body of Christ right now, and he's looking at him going, I'm going to show you something that's even better than anything else I said, and it's love. And so if you can imagine, like, 
I imagine when I'm reading this, I sit there and go, okay, the pictures I've had of love, there's been moments where it's really good, but there's other moments where I've messed it up or someone else has really messed it up. And so Paul's looking at this group of people saying love. Now, if you read back in this, this was a, a city that was highly sexual. So he's teaching something about love, and they might be like putting it to the other things that he's talking about. And he's going, nope, 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 nope. And then he begins to explain, if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, and I just don't have love, then I'm, it's, it's, re, it's, it's pointless. He says it's like taking the drumstick, right? And just going. It's a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. So if you don't have love, it's like you're just adding to the noise. Think about this for a minute. If we're not loving the way we're supposed to be loving in a culture and a world in which we're supposed to be the examples of love, then all we're doing is adding to all the other noise in our world. If we're not being who God's called us to be, if we're not loving the way God's asked us to love, then all we're doing is adding to the noise. And guess what's happening? People aren't hearing. People aren't hearing God's voice. They're not responding to a spirit because all they're hearing is... Why? Because there's a group of people that are supposed to be loving that aren't loving. And so they're just adding to the noise, making it even more confusing for you to hear. But then, get, then Paul takes it to another level as he continues on. And I don't know about you, but this week when I read this, it was like I got punched in the face. I've never been punched in the face, but I can imagine what it feels like. Probably can't, but anyways, I imagine it hurts. Anybody been punched in the face? Wow. I thought we were in Blissfield. I thought if I said you've been kicked in the face by a cow, maybe that might have been a little different, but. Oh, it's the ghetto. Yo, yo. Okay. Um, but I, I could, it was like, in this moment, I'm sitting there and I'm like reading these things that we're about to read. And it was like, my, st- okay, let's read. Here we go. It says this. Get ready. You're about to go. Wow. Okay. Love is patient. Okay? Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of when it's been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever, but prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will disappear. Now we know only a little. Even the gift of prophecy reveals little. But when, it, when the end comes, these special gifts will all disappear. He's saying all that other stuff I just told you about is going to disappear when the end comes. It is like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like ch- what, as a child does. But when I grew up, I put the childish things behind. Now we see things imperfectly as a poor mirror, but then... We'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. There are three things that will endure. There are three things that will last. Faith, hope, and love. And he said, but the greatest of these things is love. Now, if you're trekking with me, you'll understand this and why I felt like I got 
just punched in the face. Because when I start reading these, and I read love is patient, this week I'm sitting in my, on my couch with my little girl, my little six-year-old, sitting there reading, and it was, you know how, if you're a teacher, you give them, you know, reading time at home and all this stuff. And, and so we, we sat down right before bed, and we started to read. And for some reason that night, Selah was wound up, okay? So her name is not prophetic in every, any way for her, okay? If you don't know what Selah means, it means to pause and reflect, okay? Or think about, the, yeah, she doesn't. She's just like, go and destroy, okay? Um, we gave all of our kids, like, prophetic names, I think, but it just hasn't come to be yet. But anyway, Selah, um, she comes up, and I'm like, okay, go grab a book, you know? And she's like, okay, and she runs out, and she comes back with her Bible, and I'm like, okay, are you going to be able to read this? Yeah, yeah, I can. I'm like, okay. So we sit down, you know, she cozies up in my arm, and, and so we start reading, and she's doing really good, but then the stinker comes out, right? And I'm like, I know she knows all these words, you know, like in kindergarten, she was like top of the class with just like words, and we're like, okay, you know these words. And so she's like just guessing and making up other words. I'm hoping this is true, um, and she didn't just lose it all, but she's sitting there making up these different words, and I'm like, Sally, you know these words. Not that patient. That's, see, I'm being humble right now. I'm like, you know these words, you know? And, and so we sit there for a while, and we get through this first page, and I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I close the book, and I take it, and I throw across the room. You're like, oh, you threw a Bible. Yes, I did. Sorry. Um, it's a children's Bible, though, okay? Um, <laughs> but I take this, and in that moment, I felt like the biggest dummy in the whole room. Because that week I'm reading about what love is and I'm not being loving. Because if it's true that what we've learned about love is really reinforced and taught at a young age, then just think about what I was teaching Selah in that moment. That love's okay as long as you do what's good for dad as long as you get all the words right, as long as you do it in the time that dad wants, as long as you, now hear me in this, in no way did I want that. But in that moment, that's what I was communicating to her. I hope God blinded her eyes and ears, you know, but in that moment, I thought about this. What did I just teach my daughter about what love is? I didn't teach her love is patient, right? Let's look at this just for a minute in the message, and I want just to kind of give you a different perspective, get your minds thinking a different way. If you want to follow along in yours, you can just to kind of correlate them. But it says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. It's, it, it isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. Stop. Okay. I have a, like, my family is, like, people ask me what, like, nationality or what, you know, what your name is and what your heritage is and all that stuff. Well, I have a great combination of things. Um, I have German. I have Scottish. I have Swedish. And then I have, what's my last one? English, that's what it is. Um, so within my family tree, 
we have that like Scottish part. You know where I'm going here? Okay, they're known for being what? What? Hotheads, right? Yeah, that's part of our family beautiful curse, okay? Because I wish I could read this and go, yes, love is very patient and doesn't fly off the handle. But I think I use the excuse now and I've kind of made it okay by saying we just do, we do life loud. Really what that means is I'm damaging my kids each time I lose it. This is really, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know why this is so heavy. <laughs> but like this is what I'm learning. Like this is what, as I read God's word, these are the things that God's challenging me on because it's, I'm looking at it going, God, if I'm going to be all that I'm supposed to be to teach my kids what, who it is that you are, I have to be a representation of that. And right now, I'm being anything but that to them. Why? What am I doing? I'm taking these same pictures, these same broken pieces that I've had, and I'm passing them down to my kids and saying, here, this is how you do this. And it's messed up. Go to First uh, John 4 with me real quick. And then I turn to First John 4 this week, and at verse 7, it just says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay, I have a dilemma here. And I think we all have a dilemma. If we call ourselves Christians, then it should be just a natural outflow that we love. And it says in here that if we don't love others and if we don't love well and right, that we don't know the love of God for us. Because God is love. So it tells me that there's something wrong in the way that I see things. There's something wrong in the way that I view myself. There's something wrong with what I believe is true. Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as your what? Self. Now, we love all the first parts of it, but we don't like that last part. We love the idea of, yes, I love God with everything I have. And yep, I'll love people. But you're supposed, you need to love, yourself, love others as you love yourself. So we're not loving others in the way we're supposed to be loving them because I think a lot of us have a, a problem with loving who it is that God's created us to be. And we don't understand how loved we are. And so continue on with me at verse um, 16. It says, we know how much God loves us. And we put our trust in him. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because, our, because we are like Christ here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is, it, is, it is for the fear of judgment, and it shows that his love is not been, has not been perfected in us. We love each other as a result of his loving us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. And if we don't love people, we can't see, sorry, we can see how can we love God whom we have not seen. So let me read that again because I just slaughtered it, okay? 
If, we say, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For, he, for if we don't love people we can see, how can we love a God whom we have not seen? And God himself has commanded that we must love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters. So, a lot of how we are taught to love is based on fear. And according to God's word, fear is the thing that keeps us from truly loving right. Why? Why do we fear? We fear punishment. We fear judgment. And so in order to keep our, us from getting punished, in order to keep, keep us from being fearful, we, we live in this like world to go, we'll just exist with the way we have it. I'll just continue to pass on the pictures because it, it's what I know. Instead of coming to a God who is completely loving, who chooses to love you first, who set the model out for you first before you even step face on this earth, and he said, this is how you're meant to love. And he said, oh, by the way, as you rest and you sit and you delight in my love, guess what? All that fear, all that fear of punishment, all that fear of judgment, all that, that's going to go away. Why? Because the only person that has your attention, the only person whom you're looking at going, show me how to love, is God. And in God, there is no fear in love. Think about this for a minute. When we're not patient, we're fearful. When we're not showing kindness, we're fearful. When we fly off the handle, we're fearful. And love is not a part of it in any way. Why? What are you fearful about? You're fearful that your kids aren't going to end up being the smartest kid in class. And so you have to pick and pick and pick at every word until they know it perfectly. Or you fly off the handle because your kid didn't listen right away and so you jump on them because for some reason that's going to make them turn around and change in a heartbeat. I wish I can say that's all of you, but that's me. That's what God is saying right now to me. He's saying perfect love is what I want you to live in. God wants us to be marked by these characteristics, patience, love, kindness, goodness, all these different things. He wants us to be marked by what love is, not what we've learned it to be. And here's the thing I want to say, and I said this last week. If we're about restoring the broken one life at a time, the only way we can do that is not on our own power, but is by the transforming love of Jesus Christ, changing who we are so that we're so drastically different that everybody closest to us takes notice and they begin to see a different God. They begin to see a God who is loving, not judgmental, not somebody that wants to like, vanish them from this earth. If we want to see God move in and through our families, our jobs, our, our places of recreation, wherever you are, if we want to see that happen, then we've got to allow that transforming love of Jesus Christ to change who we are. And I wish I can say it's evident right now. But it's not even evident in me. All I'm doing is I'm walking around just adding to the noise. Can you imagine if myself and Pat just decided, hey, we're going to be the gongers this week, you know, and we're just going to go out and follow you, you know? And every time you make a mistake in loving, we're just going to go. Do you know how quick you change? Does that make sense? 
Do you know how quick you would be to fix that? Because you don't want to be recognized for being an unloving person, so you're going to do everything you can in your strength and your power to make sure that you are the most patient person in the world, even with the guy hitting the symbol behind you. Right? Yeah, I get punched in the face. That's what that means. Okay, I got it. But it's amazing if you think about it this way. If we had this visible thing behind us every day, every time we are not loving around us, we would change really quickly. But guess what? We don't. But we do have the promise that perfect love casts all fear. And we need to live in that love. And that's the only place we're supposed to live. Not adding to the noise, but removing the noise so that the people around you are seeing the love of Christ living inside of you so that they can hear God's voice speaking to them about who they are. But if all you're doing is not loving, you're just adding to the noise and making it harder and harder for other people to see and hear because they don't like what they see and hear in you. If your life is no different than the other person, then you have nothing to sell. Right? Today, I want to I add close by... Um, no, I messed all my slides. Um, by going to this prayer in, in Philippians 1.9. And it's a prayer that Paul prays for the Philippian church. A few years ago, I was reading the book, um, Blue Like Jazz. It's one of my favorite books. It's written by Donald Miller. And he wrote this quote, and it's a quote that has stuck with me for so long. If you are friends with me on Facebook, you'll see it's in there. Like, it's the quote that I put on. But it says this. It says, I hope that love would work like a magnet. Drawing people from the mire and from hurt and heal, from from the mire and hurt and towards healing. He's saying, "I hope that the love of Christ in me would be like a magnet, drawing people in, so that they don't have to sit and be in the muck and the mire anymore, but they can find true healing in the love and acceptance of their Father." And Paul looks at this Philippian church and he says the same thing. He says, so this is my prayer that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but you'll love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere, intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life. Circumspect and exemplary. A life Jesus would be proud of. Stop there for a minute. Is that the kind of life we live? One where our Savior, who did everything for us, who took all of our sin and all of our shame and went to the cross to die for us, would would he be proud of the life that we are living for his sacrifice that he made? Think about that. The ultimate expression of love was shown on a cross one day at Calvary. And Paul is sitting here with this Philippian church going, would Jesus be proud of it? Would Jesus be proud of the church that he died for? Would Jesus be proud of it? Bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. You see, I'm dumb enough to believe this. I'm dumb enough to believe that the love of Christ is enough to attract people to him. I don't have to stand on my head and perform in a way. I don't have to have this grand big thing that, you know, looks like a circus show. I can just trust that the love of God is enough to draw all men to him. But I have to live a life that Jesus would be proud of. 
And part of living that life is living a life of love. It's reducing the noise. It's taking the noise out so that the people around you and me can look at God and say, that's the God I want to serve. Because if he can do that in you, then he can do it in me. My prayer for my life is not that people would know me as someone who gave, I hate saying this, great messages or who did these great things with graphic design and all this, but that my kids and my wife and all those closest to me would go, the thing that marked his life is his love and passion for his father. And I'm not talking about my earthly father. I love him, but for my heavenly father. I hope that my 13-year-old girl can look at me and go, my dad loves God more than anything, and it's evident because he loves me the same way that he's being loved by his father. Jesus loved the way that he was loved. You love the way that you are loved. It's time to change the father that you learned it from. And allow your heavenly father to speak life and truth into you so that you know who you are, so that you can be the light and the example you need to be to those closest to you and those around you. Because if we're going to see things change, if we're going to see things happen, then we have to be people that aren't adding to the noise, but removing the noise. And the only way we do that is by falling deeper and deeper in love with him. By doing what Paul said, discovering how wide, how high, how deep, how big his love is for us and understanding that nothing, not anything can separate us from that love. If we lived like that, our lives would be different and the city we live in would be different. The home we live in would be different. This world that we live in would be different because what this world is needing is not more noise. It needs people that are living out a life of love. Not judging the person who is caught up in sin, but loving them, just like Jesus did. Today, the question is for you is this. How are you measuring up? Are you just clanging? Is the symbols just clanging all around you and you're just adding to the noise? Or are you living a life in love with who your Father says you are? Are you living that in that connection, in that intimacy where you're receiving from your Father and it's going out into those closest to you. I can tell you when I'm disconnected because everything around me is disconnected. I'm short-tempered. I'm easily angered. At that moment, when you see those initial things, you gotta go, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here between you and me, Father. Because this thing will automatically flow out all this so today how are you loving are you living according to what your father taught you or according to what your heavenly father is teaching you that's the question let's pray so father this morning I know this has been really not the most enjoying sermon or talk that we've had but it's something that is real It's something that you're teaching me. It's something that you're teaching, I know, many of my friends in this room. And I pray for those in this room right now that are just really stuck, God. They don't know how to live any other life. I pray that you'd show them, God, through your love, it's possible. Through your love, it's possible to be patient. Through your love, it's possible to be kind. It's possible to know what you want first. And so, God, today, in the moments that we have ahead, would you teach us a little bit more about your love? Would you help us to delight in it? 
In the time that we have here, may we just rest in the knowledge of knowing that we are incredibly loved by you. And as that love comes in, God, may all fear be pushed out. Because God, we hold on to this. Your perfect love casts out all fear. And if we're going to love well and we're going to love right, God, we must understand how much you love us first. And so God, may your love work like a magnet right now. In Jesus' name.